0: the big bets on campus podcast podcast
1: Podcast. all right here we go
2: the fight in
1: the dog. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by BetMGM. This is the BBOC College Football National Championship preview and award show spectacular. We have a lot to get to today. We'll obviously preview the national championship game between Washington and Michigan. We will also give out our Hades Smith Award, which is the voicemail caller of the year. We'll look back on some of those voicemails, get a few laughs. We'll give out our gambling Heisman. We'll even talk to fellow BBOC co-host Mike Calabrese to get a quick prop or whatever he likes. Check in with him. Speaking of Mike Calabrese, right after this show, we will transition to full-time college basketball featuring myself, the three-man weave crew. Mike Calabrese and our old pal Mike Randall makes his return we will be recording an episode tonight so that'll be out Friday be three episodes per week we'll have one on Monday take a look at a conference recap the weekend look at Monday night you have a three-man weave with a midweek episode and then we will be back later in the week to preview the weekend and shortly we will be resuming our BBOC live shows on Saturday mornings to cover college basketball as well. But before we get into the national championship, Colin, let's uh we'll talk a little college football playoff recap. First of all, what's going on? How was the game? And what were your
3: overarching thoughts? Well, for those of you without the visuals of YouTube, Stucky is wearing a glorious Washington t-shirt. They are have already made me a big financial winner on monday so uh, you know dogs i they've had such a tremendous season as far as the rose bowl goes, i I just could not believe the number of special teams problems i couldn't believe how alabama could not get a clean snap to milro lights were a little bit too bright there in the rose bowl i would say for a guy that's licensing stuff uh talking highly of himself throwing bill o'brien underneath the bus uh ultimately it was alabama's mistakes and who knows You know, Saban said that was a design quarterback run that Tommy Reese called for Milrow. Wasn't blocked properly, wasn't snapped properly, didn't get home. That was the difference. I just could not believe the number of mistakes that Michigan made at the beginning of the game. Alabama had chances to knock them out. They didn't. And when you have a trench like what Michigan has, that'll come back and bite you. As far as the Sugar Bowl goes, the handicap is exactly what you and I said. I mean, spot on. The Texas secondary was ripe. And Washington was elite in the throw game as they always have been, except for that little, I don't know what was going on for those three or four weeks. We thought Penix maybe had a rib injury. Maybe there was a flu bug. Not sure how we didn't score one touchdown against two Arizona State. But, you know, Washington, the version that's the best of them, showed up in the Sugar Bowl. We knew that that would uh, dominate and cover the number for us. This is going to be a fantastic national championship game. Alabama really did not capitalize on the Michigan mistakes, and here we are.
1: Washington got away with some awful clock management late. Yep. Oh, my God. I was going bananas. They basically could have ended the game.
3: And Sark, a decision for the two-point conversion. There were so many mistakes.
1: Yep. And then Michigan special teams, which are usually elite, they have one of the best special teams groups in the country. And they made, I mean, what did they gift Alabama 11 points? And Alabama special teams came to play you know, hitting 250-plus yarders. But Michigan, I thought, was the better team from start to finish. Just overall, they were able to overcome those special teams' blunders. I thought Washington was the deserved winner. But, you know, when you're in a high-leverage game like that, a lot of times you don't get away with making a potentially fatal clock management error like they did. Yeah, I thought both games were outstanding. What Two one-possession games, we even had overtime, one, But alas, we have Washington and Michigan as the two teams left standing since the BCS era in the late 90s. Neither team has played for a national title. I guess the Big Ten will have a national title winner next year. Although if Washington wins it, this will be considered a national championship for the Pac-12 in its official last hurrah. As we record this, late. Thursday afternoon, Michigan is a four-and-a-half-point favorite over under 56, 56-and-a-half. 56 you know, we played Monday night, 7.30 Eastern on ESPN. My initial handicap on this game, I think the line is close to about fair. A couple of things that really stick out to me with this game, I mean, you mentioned it off the top of the show. We talked about the weakness of Texas, and it's their, it was their secondary, their corners, you know, going up against Penix and three healthy elite receivers in a dunze mcmillan and polk that ended up being texas's downfall those three were targeted 20 times against texas they had 19 catches for 353 yards and two touchdowns so you know that ended up being the difference texas uh, michigan's defense excuse me i think is texas is it's it's like a texas mirror with better corners so they have a better shot at -hmm. matching up with washington they don't have and look they've they've kind of built their team to and built their defense to stop ohio state and their electric passing attacks you know we saw that more specifically the past couple of years but they don't have you know when we saw them play against stroud you know you had hutchinson ajabo they don't have that The elite pass rush off the edge. I think they have a a slightly better, deeper pass rush off the edge as Texas. But the strength, just like Texas, of the Michigan front is their interior defensive line. But they have better corners. Now, what kind of stumps me about this game is you could argue that Michigan is made the national title and still hasn't faced an elite quarterback. <laughs> um, so I mean, like, they there fa- their three best teams that they face Kyle McCord, who you know, yeah, he's now he transferred to Syracuse, Drew Aller, and then Jalen Milroe. And we talked about it, it's like just make take away the deep ball and don't let Milroe run, which is what Michigan set out to do and he couldn't take advantage. Now Pendix would be will be able to take advantage, you know, if you just sat back. But so the I, I do believe, like at least with Texas, we saw them play, you know, good passing attacks. And we could really tell that their corners were a bit problematic. We haven't seen any cracks. And we, we know how good Will Johnson is Samra still I, but you know Wallace has played really well but, like, again, we haven't seen them face this caliber of offense. So how, how much of a drop-off will we see in production and how much can Penix and these receivers take advantage? And on the other side of the ball, you
0: know,
1: and these two teams, the, I think the best part about this game is they're polar opposites. Washington led the country in air yards this year. Michigan wants to run it as much as any team in the country So these are these teams are polar opposites. The Washington defense, I will say, is trending up. Better health, we've seen that. Even I know they gave up a ton of points and and yards to Texas, but what yours? I only think I had eighty five passing yards at the first half, and they put together I think two hundred yards of offense over their final three drives when the game was you know two touchdown game. Washington didn't want to give up an explosive play, so. A little misleading in the yards and points department. This Washington defense is certainly trending up. We talked about this last week, better health in the secondary along the defensive line, and they're just playing better overall. Uh, So, you know, Michigan's going to want to run it. They're going to want to pound it. Can they do that against Washington? And improving Washington defense, that will go a long way in determining this one as well. So what do you see here for the national championship game?
3: I think we should start with the Michigan offense before we go to the Washington offense because we are not leaving this podcast until because we have to talk about the referee crew. I think the referee crew is going to be more involved in this game than any national championship game we've ever had. I'll start with the Michigan offense. The biggest advantage in this game from all the numbers, the analytics and everything, is the Michigan offensive run concepts against the Washington defense. 32% of all the rushing attempts by Michigan have 8 or 9 guys in the box pre snap. They will they will have pre snap motion. They will load up tight ends. They will pull a weak, a weak side guard and they will run quorum like a pinball in between all of those. Now there's no explosiveness ever since he had the surgery last year. He's you know he there, there's not you're not going to see Michigan running 60 yards down the field on the ground. But what Michigan does with their blocking up front, they are an automatic standard downs The entire game, I can't see a way that Washington gets them into passing downs. Now, Michigan, uh, you know, Washington can't defend the inside zone. They can't defend man. They can't defend power or counter concepts from the analytics. And that's all that Michigan runs. Washington is top 10 in standard down rates. I don't expect them to come out of it. And they're also fourth in quality drives. Remember what quality drives is. It's drives it in scores have more than 10 plays, longer than three minutes, cover 50 yards. That is Michigan's offense to a T. Now, when you go and look at these last two games where Washington's defense has really stepped up, Oregon and Texas had twice as many plays in standard downs as they had in passing downs. The difference was third downs. Washington has been elite in third downs. They've limited their pass to opponents, seven of 21 on third downs. Whether you want to call it Bo Nix not getting it done, Quinn Ewers being inaccurate, it just has not been able to work. Three of those teams in third downs. The red zone is a huge issue for Washington on this side of the ball. Eightieth in defensive finishing drives, but it gets way worse after that. Michigan is seventh nationally in red zone touchdowns coming from the ground. That's all Blake Corum. Washington is one hundred and twelfth in red zone rushing TDs allowed. There are props on the board that are already up as we record this. I don't think there's a ceiling for Blake Corum anytime TD. I saw a minus minus three twenty. I said, (laughs) that's not priced right. Minus 350, not priced right. When you go and look at Michigan's offense and who gets the red zone attempts, I went back to Penn State. Only three attempts in the red zone in the last five games have come outside of Blake Corum. Two went to Donovan Edwards. One went to Samaj Morgan. The rest, all Blake Corum touches. So anytime TD, it's pricey, it's worth it. I played... Blake Corum, two plus TDs. The math is wrong on that number that it's out there. I'm sure it will correct itself by Monday. But he has scored at least two rushing touchdowns in nine of 14 games this season. That is 57%. The odds should be minus 130. As you and I record this, Blake Corum, two TDs is plus 150 out there. That is a terrible number. Minus 130 is your buying point. So, stuck for me, it is clear as day that Michigan is never coming out of the standard downs. They're going up against a defense that the whole season is 81st and third downs. They've just really stepped it up against Oregon and Texas. I I see a path for Michigan having methodical, slow clock touchdown scoring drives without any resistance from the run defenders that are on the Washington defense.
1: Yeah, that, that, that is a, a key point here. I, so, well, number one, what's, what's, I, I should mention what's, what's going on with Donovan Edwards. Is he just, still hurt is he washed uh are they gonna unleash him a bit more in this game he had a big drop I know in 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 the semifinal mm-hmm. um I thought he would look a lot better and healthier after the month off but sh- uh, should we just consider he's gonna get like last week like, a target uh four rushes for 11 yards or is he now suppressed in value and you can also look to him in some form or fashion
3: I think he's washed. I mean, he's yeah. a full participant in pregame activities. He is just not getting the time. And when he does get the time, when he does get the action, he's not producing it at an elite level. Uh two years his ago. His vision isn't
1: he, great. So like when he yeah. but he had to be like so explosive when he would just hit and then break him off. And now that it's he, he, he doesn't seem to have that same burst with you know some of the vision issues, then it's it's really bad.
3: Well, the other side of the ball, i I, I think yeah. I, I this will be the first time I've said this. Uh, who is going to be the first TD scorer for Washington. It's literally a roulette wheel. I've never seen a larger diverse group of names. I went through every red zone attempt that Washington has been in through their last six games. You can go down the entire list of everybody that's had a target this season for Michael Penix. They're all options in the red zone. So if you're going to take a long shot prop, you want to throw some money down on something that could go big. You're going to go deep down on the list on Washington. Now, let's break this down with them because this to me is the hardest part of this, This the hardest handicap in this game. This is a very similar offense to LSU 2019. And when I say that Michael Penix finds the open spot on the field and drills it, that's exactly what Joe Burrow did. The difference is Joe Burrow, that team didn't commit as many penalties and Joe Burrow was way more accurate. Penix has had like nine big, uh, nine turnover worthy plays and he had Clyde Edwards. So there's a big difference between LSU 2019 and this team, but that's what Washington does. They find the empty spot, and they go at it. Penix has 40 big time throws. He's the highest A dot of his career at 10.9. And he's protected by the Joe Moore award winning offensive line. And I think that's where we start to talk about how the Michigan defensive line, the pressure is going to come from the outside, not probably the interior, like where Texas had sweat, Murphy. So this is going to come from the outside. And a lot of people are thinking, well, Penix is finally going to get some pressure. Listen, That guy can sniff out pressure from a mile away. Nobody's getting a touch on him. There's no quarterback hits. There's no sacks. When you go and look at their tackles, Troy uh, Fatanu and Roger Rosengarten, they just don't allow pressure. They don't allow anyone to get by. Both of them are ranked in the top eight of all offensive tackles in PFF individually and pass blocking. They've allowed on the entire season, 1,138 snaps. They've allowed two sacks and four quarterback hits. That is the most one of the most impressive things you can say out there. So do I think Michigan's gonna get pressure here? Unlikely. I, I mean they'll have a better chance at it than Texas did, but I mean these numbers from these tackles. It wasn't an elite, gonna,
1: it wasn't an elite edge rush or sack defense for Michigan this year, either.
3: Right. I Jesse Minter's gonna have to dial up some blitz if he wants to get to Pennix But if you dial that up, he recognizes that he he pulls a burrow and hits the spot. So, you know, I, I think the other thing too is. I cannot believe Michael Penix is running again after two ACL tears, right? He came into the sugar bowl with 44 yards on the season, whether design scramble, whatever he had 30 rushing yards in that game. Two of them were on undesigned. One was a scramble versus Texas. Now his designed runs throughout the season. And I go last year, anytime he's been under Kalen DeBoer, it goes straight over center or straight over the right guard here, Julius Bulo. So I am looking for props as we record this on Thursday there. I can't find one Michael Penix rushing prop. I assume because he averages about 5.2 yards per game rushing. We're going to get somewhere between five and 11 yards as a rushing prop. I'm going over. I think he's healthy enough to run. I think it will keep Michigan off guard. Uh, It's going to open up some things in the passing game. He is good for me for at least two or three designed runs here. I would take that number all the way up to over 14 and a half.
1: Uh, Sack yards kind of gets your rushing yards. We just talked about it. You like never get sacked many times. See this in the NFL and in college, quarterbacks who don't like to run or, or quarterbacks that do like to run will run more with in higher leverage games, right? It's worth it to risk more. So, and we saw that last week with Penix. Yeah. I mean, 30 yards for Penix. That's like a shocking number based on what he's done this year. And this is a national title now, so I'm assuming that he'll be even more inclined to run it. The biggest thing for me is, look, Michigan does a good job of preventing explosive plays, but again, mm. so look at look at the and so does Washington, but look at the offenses that they face. But unlike Texas, they might they may be able to press at a higher frequency and then try to bring pressure. Can they? Can their corners hold up when they do that? So if they want to bring pressure. That's what Arizona State did. Now, Washington wasn't fully healthy, but they were bringing cover zero blitzes. They were playing press on the outside. It threw Penix off. Can Michigan do that, change up their, disguise their coverages enough, corners hold up in man, press man, uh, you know, you can't do that all game, but enough when they do to throw Penix off. That, to me, I think (laughs) is the key to the game, right? Would you agree?
3: Oh, and how important is Dylan Johnson's hands out of the backfield? Now, he was in a boot walking off the Sugar Bowl field after all the festivities. Kalen DeBoer comes out the next day, says he's fine. It's a nagging injury. We've dealt with it all season long during games. And Dylan Johnson went back out there and played. This is one of the shortest turnarounds from semifinals to national championships we've had. Usually it's 10, 11 days. So we'll see how healthy he's going to be. I am going to be on the ground Saturday at Player Media. I will be right up in front of Dylan Johnson to give him the, you know, all the interrogating questions that I can give him. And I'll be on the field watching Dylan Johnson to see how healthy he is. Because like you said, Stuck, he is so important. If Jesse Minter puts on the tape of that Arizona State blitz that covers zero, Dylan Johnson's going to have to be there to catch those balls out of the backfield for quick dumps. Now, the real handicap in this game, which is so hard, Romo Duns, Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan, what will they do with 50-50 balls against this Michigan secondary? It was anything that was contested against Texas, Washington won every single one of those. The only wide receiver this Michigan defense is anything that's comparable is Marvin Harrison Jr., who loves to run Hitch, by the way. Hitch is Washington's favorite thing, you know, just a little comeback there after they they run their steps. Well, Marvin Harrison Jr. was limited to five catches on nine targets, but Kyle McCord was the quarterback. You go back farther, C.J. Stroud... Marvin Harrison working together, Michigan was able to shut that down too, specifically on Hitch. So uh, there could be some success here. I worry about the out routes and the 50 50 ball corners are very good. Uh, there's, I mean, I have not, Josh Wallace, Mike Sanders still, Rod Moore, Quentin Johnson, Will Johnson, all of those guys rank in the top 150 of PFF's individual grading of coverage grades of all defensive backs. So it's good on good here. But they've never seen anything like this before because there are just so many weapons. So 50-50 balls on out routes are really going to determine how Washington goes here. I expect Michigan D to have more success than Texas in A, getting pressure, and B, going up for those 50-50 balls. But still, Washington was up by 13 at the end of that game. So how much can Michigan close that gap? To me, Stuck, that's the big unknown here. Uh, I think Dylan Johnson, you know, that they need that play action pass or at least some semblance of a play action pass to help out, to help draw those defenders out. Um, To me, I think the refs are going to get involved. Don't forget this either. Washington, there is a huge penalty problem. Um, Washington is 132nd in the nation in penalties. Michigan is second in the nation in penalties. And that leads us into the referees of this game, which is just unbelievable. If you happen to remember that first responders bowl because it was a tweet storm. There were so many flags being thrown. Uh, We had a ref say, damn it, on on, (laughs) on his microphone. Uh, That was Ed Ardito of Conference USA. Ed Ardito has the highest rate of personal foul calls of all head referees in FBS. The second highest of personal fouls, Marcus Woods of the ACC who is calling this game. Marcus Woods calls an average of 2.25 personal fouls per game. Woods crew threw a heavy 168 flags this season. They average 14 per game and it's a huge diversity from false start holding personal fouls and yes, defensive pass interference. Woods averages two. The ACC's going to have a
1: say in the in the national title after all, huh? Yes.
3: Yes. And and when you go look at Marcus Woods crew, they call at least two defensive pass interferences per game. It Almost doubled all the other officiating crews in the ACC. It was one of the more unbelievable, like eye-popping things when I had when I was doing the write-up. That'll be out on action this weekend. Please go read it. Um, let's go to the splits here. Michigan four personal fouls on the season. Washington ten. Michigan two, PIs this season. Washington seventeen. Now I don't think JJ McCarthy is going to be sitting back and passing all day. But the discrepancy in penalties and knowing that this ACC crew has the heaviest amount of flags, second highest rate of personal fouls, and the highest rate of defensive pass interference, it works both ways. Washington's going to get some free yards here. These teams are going to get spotted some good field position. There's going to be a lot. I think there's extra scoring opportunities. I know, I I think you and I originally kind of came out and thought that we thought the under would tick here. I hit the over a couple hours ago. I think there's I think there's going to be additional scoring opportunities given by the Zebras based on the track record of ACC ref Marcus Woods.
1: I yeah now this is ticked up <laughs> I I think I might play the under. Uh the refs, Ooh. the officials do scare me, but the way that I now I I'm, I'm making a leap of faith that the Michigan D-backs can hold up the Washington defense is improving. I do think Michigan's going to have success on the ground, but they're going to be long. It, their offense is going to be the best defense. They're going to be long. They play really slow. This game will be played at a slow pace. Washington doesn't play fast yep. either. So I think Michigan's going to have these long, methodical drives, and I think that their defense can hold up enough, specifically in the red zone. They prevent expl- and both teams prevent explosive plays, which is what I want. Um, so... Yeah, I think the spread is about right. If I if I if if you wanted to take the points with DeBoer, it's just hard for me to project exactly where Michigan is based on the, the – and that hurts the total, the handicap, based on the schedule opposing offenses that they face. But from a power ratings perspective, I have the line about right. Um, I think I'm at like 3-9, three, 3-8. Three, yeah, I'm at um, 4.
3: I'm right there with you. No value. Yeah,
1: so – but I do show a little bit of value in the under. The, the officials do scare me. <laughs> I also – I I think that this will be – so I expect Michigan to come out and, and try to pound, control the clock. And, you know, the Washington you, – you can't really get deep on them and their corners are playing better. So what is that going to lead to? It's going to lead to, like, just their linebackers coming – down hard, right? And they're just gonna and they're gonna just have to sell out to try and stop the run. So I think this could be a potential decent day for Colson Loveland. Any thoughts there?
3: I it's hard because
1: they Michigan plays a bunch of tight ends, so it's like who's right. gonna but I think and like in a play action there's gonna be some open tight ends at times.
3: Well McCarthy's now targeting tight ends more than he is re- more than he is his receivers. He had two very questionable throws over the middle against Alabama and they cut it out. It's almost as if Sharon Moore was like, and this is what's amazing to me because I have a prop in the national championship write-up, J.J. McCarthy under 0.5 interceptions minus 135. Why do I like it? Well, McCarthy hasn't thrown an interception since week four, but he's also been extremely low risk passing. Remember, this is a quarterback that didn't even make a passing attempt in the second half against Penn State. If I think what worries me about it stuck with Loveland is if the Michigan rush offense and the offensive line do what I think they're going to do. How many passing attempts are you getting out of JJ McCarthy? How many attempts out of passing downs do you think there's going to be? So that is my one worry about that is, is yes. I agree with you that Loveland is a look, but it seems that once Terry and Arnold picked off JJ McCarthy but was out of bounds and didn't reset himself, that was it for Jerome Moore. Every single throw was going to be low risk. It was going to be comebacks on the sideline, or it was going to be something where Alabama could Kool-Aid or, or Terry wasn't going to be able to get to it. So how many shots are we going to see McCarthy take over the middle? You're saving grace and taking Loveland or any Michigan wide receiver to go over their totals is it Washington just comes out balls on fire and they're up by two TDs. Because your slow-paced, methodical offense with Corm that ain't that's not gonna work. It'll work down in the red zone. It Ain't gonna work getting chunk yards. So you're yeah, gonna.
1: I might be look Loveland. Lo- I might look t- a score a touchdown.
3: Right. Uh, yeah, I mean,
1: that might be the way to go. Um, all right. Uh, so yeah, ultimately nothing on the spread for you. I know you'll have some hedge of your Washington future. You like the over, yeah. and then do you want to summarize your props?
3: Yeah, I, I I am going to suggest Michigan uh, minus four in the write-up. I, I am not going to put it in the app. I am not going to play it. That is a play that I would make in a vacuum if I had no money on the side, no futures whatsoever. Um, Michigan is a more disciplined team, and, I, and from a penalties perspective and from a rushing perspective, I could see them controlling the clock better. Um, but don't go crazy. To me, it would be a half-unit play, a one-unit play at best. Total I like a lot more, Um, but you know, 55 is key. And as we're talking, it's steamed, but you know, to end up on the, the rest of the props, you know, Jeremy Bernard, first Washington touchdown. That's out there at 30 to one, right? It's 30 to one for first uh, TD. It's also 15 to one out there for first Washington TD. Go and look at that Oregon game. Look at some film. Jeremy Bernard gets a lot of touches in the red zone. Not only that, they've snapped the ball directly to Dylan Johnson, and he has simply just touched past it in front of him to a jet sweep motion Jeremy Bernard. That is an X factor that they use frequently. I love that number at 30 to 1. Michael Penix is out there, 30 to 1. I think somebody sent me a note and said he's 50 to 1 in some shops. Listen, if Design run is on the table, I don't, I don't see why not. I mean, that is such a large number, and Michael Penix has rushed for TDs before. So those are definitely... Two first TD props that I love. Of course, I'll be out there looking for Michael Penick's rushing yards over. All
1: right. Good stuff there. And that's a step before we we'll have our live show Monday late afternoon. And Colin and I will both have content on the Action Network app and actionnetwork.com. This a reminder the BBOC podcast is presented by BetMGM. Use bonus code ACTION when signing up to get up to $1,500 paid back in bonus bets if your first bet loses for new users in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois. Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Can't wait for this game, though. Contrasting styles, two teams uh, that I think will give us a good show. I think it'll be another close game. All right, let's move on to the award show.
0: Congratulations. You've gambled on another fabulous season of college football. Now it's time to celebrate. Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus Award Show Spectacular. We now introduce two guys you've called holes, mother****** and heads all season long. Your hosts for the show this evening, Stucky and Colin Wilson
1: all right so with the championship game talk over it's time for a long-standing tradition here at big bets on campus let's hand out some awards as i mentioned previously we'll hand out the haiti smith award which goes to our voicemail caller of the year and then we will select our sixth annual recipient of the action network gambling heisman trophy the most prestigious award in all of sports but first we do want to recognize three college football coaches who received the most voicemail calls this year by far. Number three, long time PBOC nemesis Mario Cristobal. Uh, one of the biggest blunders of the season against Georgia Tech and countless other poor decisions. Number two, your boy, SEC Media <laughs> Day's darling, Jimbo Fisher. We ain't quitting on you. Please don't quit on us. You
3: know what I'm saying? There's no reason to be nasty. The culmination of me having the first question at SEC Media Days, him tripping over himself and now being fired, here we are.
1: And think about it. He uh, he did end up having a say in the College Bowl playoff, some very questionable decisions against Alabama in a game Texas A&M easily could have won and Alabama would not have been in the College Bowl playoff. Oh, man, in the playoff, the playoff would have been awful. Florida yeah. State would have been in there. They probably would have taken Florida State over day. They, they probably would have put Georgia still in. Who knows? Jimbo, so... Jimbo did have his say, and the ACC will have its say with the officials. But number one by a landslide, James Franklin, the man who cannot win a big game. Small game, James, and then didn't kneel against Northwestern, one of the worst beats I had all year.
4: My name is Franklin the Clown, and I make people believe that I'm a Big Ten contender
1: or a national title contender.
0: Hello, uh, James
1: Franklin, go back to Vanderbilt. Good job, small game, James. Another season without a big game win.
3: The West game, the West Virginia game, still hurts. The second Neil Brown took a timeout, I said Franklin's going to shove this in. You know it. It happened.
1: Penn State games always, always an adventure. All right, let's move on to our Haiti Smith Award, which goes to the voicemail caller of the year. Named after this infamous September 2018 voicemail, after Lovey Smith's University of Illinois team gave up five fourth quarter touchdowns to Penn State of all teams for a legendary bad beat.
2: I'm Devin from Alabama, Champaign, Illinois. Lovey Smith, whose name should be Haiti Smith for mouth. It's How the do you go from four down to 90 points? Down within five minutes of the game. You piece of lovey, Smith.
1: Champagne. So, all right, let's run through our nominees and then we'll select a winner. Thousands of gamblers have called into our hotline 959 Bad Beat all season, but here are some of our very, very favorites. Our first nominee, Martin from the bathtub. Martin from the bathtub. It's not about bad beats. I'm getting killed today. I'm here to give a public service announcement to everybody. It was about four and a half minutes into the second quarter today on, I don't know, whatever the f- is. Ohio State figured it out. Whoa, whoa. Now you'll get a better update from me next weekend in South Bend. But until then, I will sit here in this glorious bathtub and say this. Ohio State is no longer a clown show. Also, Robert you're the one. You make gambling and also bath time. Lots of fun. Robert you're the one. Alright, thanks, Martin. Uh, for future reference, if you want to get into the finals for the Haiti Smith Award, singing will always give you an extra boost, so yeah, Martin's Lullaby to me uh, definitely helped get him another nomination. He has, I think, he won Voice of the Year one year. Second nominee, waiting on
4: Arkansas. Yeah, it's f-ing halftime of the Arkansas Texas A&M game, and I'm still waiting for that explosiveness that Colin Wilson promised us. The only f-ing explosive thing about this Arkansas offense is Sam Pittman's f-ing explosive hit popping out of his f-ing shirt. Between this and Dion Babers, I might have a coronary before three o'clock. Good God.
3: Yeah, we're all still waiting on Arkansas. This could be a uh, this could be a voicemail for next year, too. I mean we're gonna be waiting a while.
1: Who's your quarterback next year, by the way? Taylor Green, baby. Oh yeah, that's right. Third nominee. Roll tide. Roll tide
2: Y'all gonna
1: keep betting against this goats, and y'all gonna keep losing y'all money. We ain't worth the in Tuscaloosa, but ain't nobody else in the SEC West worth a lion this year. We just gonna keep on rolling until we do something stupid as hell, which we did about fifteen times this game, and it still didn't matter. Roll Tide! Thank you for that. Uh I will say. After that call, I faded Alabama twice against Auburn and Michigan successfully. So I'm glad I did not heed your advice. Fourth nominee. Hot for Colin Wilson.
3: What's up, boys? It's RJ, I must say. Colin's getting hot. If your woman's fertile, keep her away. You might have a bunch of little Colin Wilsons running around. Overs. Georgia covers. Georgia over covers. Mizzou, LSU over covers. Ladies, stay indoors. This guy's hot.
1: Our fifth with no comment there, but th- that's definitely in the running. Colin, do you want to
3: add anything? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, keep your women away from me. My wife would be pissed.
1: <laughs> that's a very true statement. Fifth nominee, bad haircut guy.
4: Yeah, when I was in seventh grade, this girl named Becca broke up with me because I got a haircut and i thought that was the lowest point of my life until i just f-ing lost maryland plus 19 and a half the oklahoma texas under and missouri plus six and a half all within 10 minutes of each other so f-ing becca f-ing everything else
1: i uh, already can't wait just so you can hear the pain just those are what potentially make saturday so great and also on the other side of the coin Potentially so painful. There's like three o'clock and then three games that look like winners go against you all at once. And then you got to strap up and lock in for the three thirty games. games. Uh, nothing like it. I can't the, wait for next year.
3: The uh, red dot anxiety. You got to love it. Six nominee. The Iowan
1: left alone. Hey boys. Love the pod. Checking in here from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Wife is in Vegas riding who knows who while well, I'm sitting at home riding Colin Wilson's stupid ass Razorbacks you dumb they're terrible Tam Pittman the
0: Razorbacks
1: done
3: so I personally think this call was was made just you know just to complain right about the bet I think the whole wife thing just accidentally came out I don't think that was pre-planned whatsoever which to me Makes the right now in the running of the races and around the third quarter poll, this one's there. Right? I I don't think that wife thing was planned. I think it accidentally slipped out.
1: Love it. Seventh nominee, Stucky the Robot.
3: Hey, listen, Stucky,
1: 25 and a half point favorites. I'm out a f- I'm winning right now. Maybe come outside of the damn reception and tell you that Auburn just lost by three touchdowns. Hugh freeze, I don't care. I don't care. I not I don't That's what you sound like. You sound like a damn robot because you're sick, and you sound like a dumbass, and Auburn just lost by like, two touchdowns to Jerry Kill, guy who can't even stay alive f- on the sidelines. Come on, man. You can do better. I know you can do better. Yeah, that was in regards to Auburn losing to New Mexico State, one of the worst, all right. most embarrassing losses, worst bets I had all year. And the <laughs> final nominee, the Drake May fan club.
4: Every Saturday, same calling you guys i'm honestly tired of calling you're probably tired of hearing from me and i'm tired of hearing myself because drake may and matt brown
3: this might be the worst qb coach duo i've seen in a long time this kid is ranted
2: (laughs) dog you know what else sucks you're gonna suck in basketball this year too just like last year sorry everybody in chapel Hill. you guys suck drake may i hope you listen to this podcast you (laughs) (laughs) you
1: all right so those are the eight nominees uh i'm gonna go ahead stucky the robot drake may fan club eliminated martin you didn't call in enough and sing enough but you can we'll still send you gear roll tide you lost to michigan you're out yeah so there's four nominees the four final nominees waiting on arkansas hot for colin wilson bad haircut guy and the iowan left alone i'm okay with any one of those four do you want to make the final decision
3: I'm going to go with the Iowa and left alone uh, for the simple fact that I think this gentleman, he was in his Iowa house by himself while his wife was in Las Vegas partying. Who knows what the backstory is on that losing bets, not knowing what your wife is writing. I'm sorry. He deserves this award, a life boost for me, a, a confidence vote for the sixth nominee, the Iowa and left alone.
1: The Iowa left alone. And uh, I'm assuming he's an Iowa fan who I would, went the final two games without a point, one fluttered in field goal over the final 155 minutes, so I think he deserves to score something, which is the 2023 Haiti Smith Award goes to the Iowan left alone, and we got some Arkansas slander in there as well. Congratulations, Iowan. Reach out to our producer, Matt, at podcast at actionnetwork.com to claim your prize. We just gonna keep on rolling until we do something Stupid egg hell.
4: Let's kick it to Mike Calabrese for his favorite props. Thanks, Duck, For the national title game on Monday, I have two player props, one from each side. I'll get started with Washington's tight end, Jack Westover. His receiving total is sitting at 29.5. I have no problem going over here because he's going to be the safety blanket and potentially the difference maker for both Penix and the Washington offense. The Michigan defense, as we know, they are elite at getting pressure. They're top three in pressure rate and defensive line havoc rate But Penix isn't somebody who's going to be comfortable throwing outside of the pocket on the run all that often. So I think he's going to counter that by getting the ball out of his hands quickly, and there's no better safety blanket in his offense than Jack Westover. Since October 28th, he's had four games with five or more targets. He's coming off that big performance against Texas in the Sugar Bowl, in which he had six catches for 59 yards. And when you look at how teams attacked this Michigan defense down the stretch, particularly when they were playing better offenses. Cade Stover, six targets. Corey Deitches from Maryland, six targets. And even Penn State cobbled together with their two tight ends, Ty Warren and Theo Johnson. They had eight targets in total. So I think teams are finding things schematically difficult on the perimeter and a little bit easier underneath and hitting those safety blanket checkdown throws. So I see Westover getting six to seven targets in this game. I would play this up all the way to 34 and a half. Now, the second one is probably my favorite here on the board of all the exotics, and it's Blake Corum receiving and rushing yards. It's sitting at 117.5 in the market, and that's a major overreaction to his performance against Alabama in the Rose Bowl. He's accounted for 118 or more yards from scrimmage just twice all season long, so if this was the number, it would be 2-12, and 12. and keep in mind, he needed 25 yards in overtime against Alabama to get to 118, so he was sub-100 in regulation but really, the the element of this that I really like is that Washington learned a lot from their midseason meeting with Oregon. Bucky Irving killed them. He accounted for 161 yards from scrimmage. He was doing it in the run game between the tackles. He was also you know, a weapon in the passing game. When they got a little bit healthier by the Pac-12 title game and had made adjustments, they totally shut him down. He had 36 total yards, and his backup Jordan James had 65 total yards from scrimmage. So I see this Washington defense ascending, getting a little bit better. I think the narrative on them is that you know, they're paper mache You can run right through them. You can throw the ball on them all over the yard. I don't think that's true and I still think this Blake Corum number is inflated by about 15 yards. So I'll go under 117 and a half all purpose yards from scrimmage. So those are my top 2 under on Corum, over on Westover. All right, back to you guys.
1: All right, thanks Mike. All right, folks, we're finally here the moment you've all been waiting for. The Action Network Gambling Heisman Trustees have assembled and voted and now it's time to select our 6th annual recipient of the Action Network Gambling Heisman Trophy, the most prestigious award in all of sports.
0: And now, the presentation of the Gambling Heisman Trophy, awarded to the most outstanding Division I player whose athletic excellence best enabled the pursuit of monetary gain through the art and science of wagering on college football.
1: First, as always, we will begin by honoring our past recipients who continue to inspire college football gamblers across the globe. 2018, Trevor Lawrence, quarterback, Clemson. 2019, Lynn Bowden Jr., the entire offense, Kentucky. (laughs) 2020, Drew Plitt, quarterback, Ball State. 2021, Bailey Zappi, quarterback, Western Kentucky.
0: Bailey Zappi. And
1: 2022, Michael Pratt, quarterback, Tulane. All right, here are this year's nominees now obviously we take performance into account as well as against the spread prowess at the end of the day this is still a gambling show this year's nominees jaden maeva quarterback unlv begrudgingly diego pavia quarterback new mexico state that was a mandatory insertion by the group of five guys noah Fafita, quarterback arizona and graham nicholson kicker miami of ohio I can say with full confidence, Diego Pavia has zero chance, especially after turning in one of the worst bowl performances in college football bowl history, also not covering in his conference title game. Completely agreed. Jada Maeda uh, didn't get get the cover, couldn't get a single two-point conversion against Kansas, already in the portal, eliminated. Comes down to Noah Fafita and Graham Nicholson, both did cover. In their bowl games, both starred for two of the best against the spread teams in the country. But the best, the man who led the heroics in the bowl game, much to your chagrin, Colin, on behalf of the Action Network Heisman Trust, we award this season's gambling Heisman Trophy to Arizona quarterback, Noah Fafita. Colin, any thoughts? I don't I know you don't want to relive that. I, Oklahoma Oh, world.
3: no, no, no. I I Noah Fafita absolutely earned this to me. He had to win that game against Oklahoma. No turnover-worthy plays in the bowl game. Look, Noah Fafita comes out in week six against USC and Caleb Williams, and he throws five touchdowns? I mean, an unbelievable season for Arizona. Quarterback change in there. All the talk was Jaden Delora before the season. Jed Fish knew what was best, had this freshman lead it. Can't wait to see what we get out of him in the Big 12. I will say this there was massive consideration for Graham Nicholson considering the conditions and the cure bowl that he had to kick in and was still drilling it. Extremely good effort. Uh, Closed the gap at Noah Fafita. What he did against Oklahoma specifically didn't make any mistakes after I complained on our pod that he made too many mistakes is what wins in this award. Good for Noah Fafita. Can't wait to see him next year.
1: Yeah. And he played without a star left tackle. The offensive line was a mess. He basically was under fire the entire game and he had to come up with a 90 plus yard drive at the end of that game and also congratulations to action network coach of the year winner jed fish for helping his quarterback earn this award congrats again to noah and all of our nominees later this month at action network headquarters in new york city Noah will have his name engraved onto the actual action network heisman trophy in a private ceremony we wish the hard-working men and women of the university of arizona football program the best of luck next season and now a quick word from action network audio director matt mitchell
2: hi everybody and thank you once again for another wonderful season of betting college football here at big bets on campus there are many 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 sports podcasts out there but thanks to you you made this show which is mostly about service academy totals and whether or not a team in las Cruces, new mexico is in fact a ponzi scheme one of the top 200 most popular sports podcasts in america and for that I cannot possibly thank you enough. You make this show what it is, and we wouldn't be here without each and every one of you degenerate maniacs joining us all season long. I thank you from the bottom of my withered gambling heart, as does my other producer, David Lee Payne, all of our contracted producers spread out across this fine earth, the entire video team here at Action Network, and of course our hardworking experts, Stucky, Callan Wilson, Mike Ionello, Mike Calabrese, Brett McMurphy, and everyone else here at Big Bets on campus. I hope you have a wonderful time betting the final game of this college football season, and we'll see you right back here for college basketball all the way through March Madness, then some college baseball nonsense with Callan Wilson this spring, and then we'll see you right back here for college football this summer as we begin our seventh season here at the Action Network covering the world's greatest sport, college football. Thank you again, and good luck.
1: All right, that'll do it for us. One final reminder that myself, Mike Calabrese, and Mike Randall will kick off the full transition to college basketball here on BBOC. That episode will be live Friday, January 5th with our tip-off episode and then myself mike calabrese and new contributor greg waddell will be releasing episodes every monday and of course our friends the three-man we will continue to deliver new episodes every wednesday but that'll do it for our national championship preview and awards bonanza it's been another fun and profitable season here you guys make the show we wouldn't be here without you especially with all the long-term listeners We appreciate you guys love the ride, love the sweats every week. Can't wait to do it all over again. Colin will be driving around firing in wind totals in April, (laughs) May, whenever they come out. I love doing the show, you know, all of our episodes look forward to them. And it's because of you guys love the voicemail callers. So looking forward to doing it all again next year, Colin. Thanks to you again, parting final parting words.
3: Portal's about to close. I got about three weeks to get returning production. TARP number's done. Uh, you're right, I'll be firing off wind totals in April. We're gonna do a little college baseball later on this spring. Uh, I'll see where I can help out around March Madness. I wanna put additional things out to our podcast producer, Matt Mitchell. You know, when you and I first started doing this as the gin and juice years ago, we didn't have Mitchell. We had to kind of do all the heavy lifting by ourselves. And once we got Matt, everything you hear from an audio perspective, he weaves into a masterpiece. He was born to do this job. The intro song I think is it makes the hair stand up on my arm when I hear it in the summers. That is uh, you know, just another example of how great he is of a producer. So I just want to say thank you to everybody that supports us here because Stucky and I couldn't do it without Action Network, without Matt Mitchell and without everybody else on the team.
1: Yeah, well said. So that'll do it for us. Another season in the books. Let's close out strong with a profitable national championship game between Michigan and Washington. Good luck to anyone who has pending futures or bets on the game. But for one final time this college football season, thanks for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy. For those betting college basketball, I'll see you in a few hours if you're listening to that. And we will catch you throughout the year, but we'll see you Monday night. And we do have one final live show on Monday, so make sure you tune in there. But thanks again for joining us all season, and we will see you in the summer. Cheers. Peace out.